0: This episode of She Explores is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers online counseling and therapy with licensed therapists from wherever you are and around your schedule. It is so important to talk about mental health. We even talk about it a bit in this episode. But even so, it can be hard to ask for help when you need it. BetterHelp makes therapy more accessible. They offer four communication modes with licensed therapists. Text, chat, phone, and video. And it's easy to change counselors so you can find the right fit for you. We have a special offer for you all. Try BetterHelp free for one week and start communicating with a licensed therapist in under 24 hours. So if it's been top of mind for you, go to betterhelp.com slash explores to get started. That's betterhelp.com slash E-X-P-L-O-R-E-S. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Please note... BetterHelp is not a crisis line. So if you've been feeling suicidal, please call 911 or the National Suicide Prevention Line, 1 800 273 TALK. I'm Gail Straub, and you're listening to She Explores.
1: There is also, you know, just not a narrative for queer young folks that promotes going outside and participating in, in outdoor activities. We hear that time and time again, you know, there were a bunch of kiddos on this queer crew sea kayaking expedition that were like, I didn't know queer people did these things. I didn't know that this was something that was possible for me. It really takes a special young person and then a special group of people to support them, to be able to participate in these activities at this stage in in our culture
0: This is Elise Rylander, founder of Out There Adventures, a nonprofit adventure education organization dedicated to serving queer youth. Before we get started, I'm about to share something I don't normally share. The awkward first moments of a Skype interview. Elise had answered with her video on, I opted for no video. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Um I actually usually don't do video for these calls, but <laughs> okay. fine yeah i mean i can show you what i look like right now but <laughs> <laughs> no that's okay <laughs> i asked how she was doing right as we hopped on
1: Um, doing fine it's the end of our youth programming season so just kind of transitioning and focusing on the summit and all that good stuff
0: yeah oh my gosh i mean i'm not i don't want to jump into the interview yet but My first question for you is really just, like, how you're juggling everything, because from the outside, at least, it looks like you have a lot going on. Yep. (laughs) Elise does have a lot going on, but as it says on the Out There Adventures website, the goal of their nonprofit is simple, to empower queer young people through their connection with the natural world. Elise founded Out There Adventures, OTA for short, five years ago. I thought about listing out all the incredible programming out there does to engage with queer teens, and young adults, and take them outside, instilling a love of the outdoors. But I really want to emphasize that it's hard to be a teen and it's hard to be a young adult. But depending on where you live and who you were raised by, it's even harder when you're queer. Elise is opening up opportunities for these queer kids because going outside, spending time on the water, it helped her when she was young. And she really wants to share that with others so that they'll continue to go outside, embrace their identities, and protect the outdoors as they grow older. When I talked to Elise, she was coming off of a kayaking trip with the Queer Youth Conservation Corps, aka the Queer Crew.
1: I just got back from a week-long sea kayak camping trip in the San Juans with our partners at Northwest Youth Corps. So they had a teen program where the kiddos were out doing conservation work, uh, Mount Rainier for four weeks. and then they came did a week of outdoor education with me. Uh, we didn't see any orcas, unfortunately, even though they were in the area. We did see a ton of dolls porpoise and other marine wildlife.
0: After that kayaking trip, she jumped right into planning the second annual LGBTQ Outdoor Summit, taking place at Nature Bridge, outside of San Francisco. It's coming up this weekend, and tickets are still available. If your head's not spinning right now, I'm impressed. I don't know how Elise's wasn't when I talked with her, though she gives a lot of credit to her partner and fiancé, Emily.
1: I can't do it alone. I would be, I don't know where I would be without my partner, Emily. So a lot of the credit goes to her for sure.
0: I'm really thankful that Elise made time for me. I asked her how partnering with other nonprofits like Outward Bound and Northwest Youth Corps has helped her spread the word of Out There Adventures.
1: Oh yeah, I think that's been our key to success. It's tough for a nonprofit of our size in terms of our annual budget to be able to cover the overhead um, and a lot of the logistics that support longer expedition-type programs, especially of the youth variety. So we've been able to work with a number of program partners at this point in our history that allow us to achieve some of those objectives and then also provide us a way to kind of get around and circumvent some of those financial and logistical barriers.
0: Hmm. So, so when you say especially kids, is, is it that like insurance is more expensive? Training's more expensive?
1: No, they're just harder to find. Um, the outreach has, has always been a problem for us. It takes me, you know, maybe six weeks of serious outreach work. So going in and doing presentations, sending tons and tons of emails, doing the social media plugs, circling back and going in and doing presentations again. About six months or so of that work to get, you know, maybe a handful of queer kiddos to come out on one of our courses. And that's in part due to the fact that we don't have the same name recognition, but also it's just a really tough demographic to connect to because I have to do a lot of that outreach in person. We're only able to connect with the folks that are in this region. And what we found with programs like Outward Bound or this Northwest uh, Youth Corps partnership is that we're able to um, reach kiddos from across
0: the country. Elise explained why the demographic of queer teens can be tough to reach.
1: Yeah, I think there's a pretty uh, contentious relationship with a lot of teens and adults just generally. Um, And then that can be further complicated when you are queer and perhaps your parents are not supportive of that. And, you know, we, there's some just basic logistical components, like we need to have a risk release signed by a parent or a legal guardian if the person is under 18. So if someone's not out to their parents, then that's a non-starter uh, for that kiddo. And even if the parent is not going to kick the kid out because they're queer, but maybe they're not that supportive, that in and of itself can be enough of a barrier for that kid to join our program. Their parents might be okay with them going to a support group for an hour once a week, but that that might be where it sort of stops. Maybe the parents aren't enthusiastic about them participating in an, a very openly queer backpacking trip or sea kayaking trip. So I think that's some of the biggest issues that we face. And then there's also, you know, just not a narrative for queer young folks that promotes going outside and participating in, in outdoor activities. We hear that time and time again. You know, there were a bunch of kiddos on this queer crew sea kayaking expedition that were like, I didn't know queer people did these things. I didn't know that this was something that was possible for me. It really takes a special young person and then a special group of people to support them to be able to participate in these activities at this stage in in our culture.
0: I love that you call them kiddos. (laughs) (laughs) So cute.
1: (laughs) I should probably stop doing that at some point it is a bit infantilizing but oh
0: no <laughs>
1: <laughs> it come I come from a long line of teachers and I think I picked that up from my mom who's a high school special education teacher so nobody's called me out on it yet sometimes I'm like oh I hope hope I'm not offending anyone
0: I read the outside online article about you and I love that the person who reported it said that you subconsciously like put your hands on your your hips (laughs) just (laughs) like just like a leader (laughs) or a teacher oh
1: yeah probably got that one from my mom as well
0: (laughs) you know the work that you do is really time consuming really intense are there any like particular kids or, or stories that you talk in the back of your head for like when the work feels particularly overwhelming
1: Yeah, I mean, yes, there are a number of young folks that that I've had the privilege of working with over the years that I I definitely think of when, you know, I'm tired and frustrated and wondering if this is working. You know, one person that I have talked about often in interviews and articles is um, Xander McRae, who came on our first ever OTA expedition in 2015. And he's just an amazing young man who has taken his opportunity with OTA to international kayaking trips. He's looking to uh, start a career with Outward Bound. Xander and I have remained in, in close contact, and it's been great to see him continue his path in the outdoor education world. And then, you know, just coming off of this expedition the other week in the San Juans, I had a young person on that crew come up to me after our our traditional affirmation circle on the last day of the course. And she said to me, You know, I, I didn't get a chance to say this to you in the affirmation circle but you give me hope. I've, I've never really seen queer adults, I don't get exposed to many queer adults, and I forget that it is possible for me to grow up as a queer person, and that there are many, many opportunities available to me. You know, and those are the things that you think are happening, and that mm-hmm. teens aren't always the best at articulating. Um, so it was a really profound moment to have this young woman come up to me and, and say that after, you know, this five-week experience, um, in which we had hoped that was the case. Being able to work with the kids out in, in the woods is what keeps me going, you know, especially in the off season.
0: Yeah. Uh, tell me more about that. Tell me more about the importance of, of queer adult role models for these kids and young adults. because I know you have programs for 14 to 17 and also 18 to 22.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's critical. You know, I think, I think it's great when queer young folks have supportive adults in their life. Um, we all need that. You know, but unlike other marginalized communities, like communities of color, for example, um, the parents can often not reflect the identity of a queer young person. And so they have to go out and, and seek that, that sort of visibility and representation in other mediums. And often that is limited to what is portrayed in the media. And that, that is a very different life for a lot of those folks, like Ellen DeGeneres or Caitlyn Jenner. You know, those are very complicated. Um, narratives of what it means to be queer. And then in in popular culture, we see a really limited idea of what the queer experience is supposed to look like. Um, So I think for for queer young folks, it's absolutely critical to be able to see a diversity of opportunities and experiences. Um, And, you know, we we heard that from the queer young folks on this crew because they're working closely with their queer crew leaders for four weeks and then came out with myself and another co-instructor for that last week. And, you know, those queer crew leaders have such an amazing impact on those kiddos from being able to, to spend so much time with them, you know, and show them that you can absolutely make it, you know, um, that it, it totally does get better. And, and I, I, again, I think for a community that doesn't often get to see itself reflected, especially in its family structures, that's absolutely paramount.
0: And you had an experience of that as a teenager, right? Working at a paddle store. Um, And you grew up in Wisconsin in the Midwest? Yes.
1: Yeah, I grew up in a very tiny town just north of Madison. And my parents are amazing and have been just phenomenal allies my whole my whole life um, and anything that I've chosen to do. And and as well as the rest of my family. Um, but yeah, I, I, the town I grew up in only has 2,000 folks. There was maybe one out woman that I was aware of, um, but I didn't have any interactions with her growing up. And and so when I started working at Rutabaga Paddle Sport Shop in Madison when I was 16... Um, that really gave me an opportunity to to meet a whole variety of of other types of people, um, including a bunch of of out gay women. One in particular, Mo Capis, who's the chair of my board and has has become a dear friend of mine. Um, we met when I was eighteen, um, and she became my boss when I was a program instructor at Rutabega. Then, yeah, I'll never forget the day that I met Mo. It was uh, it was like a whole world had been been opened up to me.
0: In OTA, Role models take the shape of LGBTQ guides and instructors, as well as mentors in the Summit Mentorship Program out of Seattle and the California Bay Area. And as it says on out there's website, you can't be what you can't see. We'll learn more about Elise and out there Adventures after this. This episode she explores is brought to you by Bombas. Since I've been oversharing in this episode, I've got to admit, I used to have a very different relationship with socks than I do right now. I never cared if they matched. I'd buy them from the pharmacy, and I mysteriously lost them all the time. But I love wearing matching bombas hiking, exercising, editing this podcast. I wear them every day. They're incredibly comfortable and cozy, especially now that fall has arrived. And that comfort is intentional. Two years of research and development has led to multiple improvements of the sock design, performance, and comfort. I feel like I'm treating myself a little better when I put them on. It reminds me of coming back to a made bed at night instead of the crazy nest I used to return to. Maybe I'm growing up a little bit, but not too much. And for each pair of socks that they sell, Bombas donates a pair to a homeless shelter. I like thinking that someone in need gets that little bit of self-care that they deserve, too. She Explores listeners will get 20% off their first order. Go to bombas.com slash explores and use the code explores when you check out. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash explores. Use the code explorers at checkout for 20% off your first order. I can hardly believe it. Our Women on the Road gathering in Taos, New Mexico is coming up next week, Friday, October 26th. We're camping out for two nights at Hotel Luna Mystica. It's an opportunity for women and non-binary listeners of She Explores and listeners of Women on the Road to meet in person, share stories, and create new ones. We'll be making an episode of Women on the Road while we're there, hosting workshops about life on the road, and just generally having fun. Tickets are listed in the show notes on this episode landing page. We'll be donating a portion of all proceeds to Heart of Taos, a local nonprofit. And if you don't have a camper or a van to sleep in, not to worry. We're partnering with Escape Camper Vans to offer you 20% off all rental. Just use code WOMEN20 at checkout. Tent campers are very welcome, too. We hope to see you there. Tickets are still available. We're back
1: we look at just its sheer power and its ability to affect our lives, you know, something very tangible for me right now in the Northwest is grappling with the wildfires and the smoke that have been sort of plaguing this region as well as many other regions on the West Coast here. And we can't do anything about it, right? We just have to, we just have to adapt to whatever nature throws at us.
0: Elise believes that nature is a disruptive force one that holds a lot of lessons for queer youth.
1: And it can can keep us humble, right? And, and can always remind us that we need to remain fluid and nimble. Otherwise, we aren't going to be successful. And then, you know, when you take that disruption to the idea that I often cite um, coming from a, a queer theorist named Sarah Ahmed um, in this idea of, The linear versus the nonlinear and linear spaces being very reflective in our urban settings. You know, everything is on a straight line. We move in a straight line in in ways that are designed to sort of shepherd us along in an efficient manner. Um, Our buildings are built on 90 degree angles. We we sort of prize everything being on the straight and narrow in urban spaces. Um, And then you, which is so can be a pretty oppressive uh, space for queer folks to be in since our identities do not move in sort of that linear fashion, uh, but instead kind of bounce all over the place. And then we go out into the natural world and you see the natural world being prized um, and respected because it is so in opposition to urban spaces, right? It's physically impossible to move in a straight line because you're always having to step over something. (laughs) So it's a place to see our queer identities be represented in the physical world. And then, you know, once you start to learn about biology and the ways that the plants and animals interact with each other and other species, we see representations of queerness all over the place. We we like to intentionally sort of queer those stories um, and show show the folks whether they're you know young or old that there is queerness all over, um, and it is actually incredibly natural.
0: And is that something that you do towards the beginning of, of a trip through orientation?
1: Oh yeah, I mean we like to pepper it in you know whenever whenever we can, um, and then we have some sort of specific moments that we incorporate in in any activity um, that's taking place outside. With the youth programs, we usually run them through uh, what we now call the Queero's Journey, which is an adaptation of the Hero's Journey, that sort of uh, typical narrative arc, and um, something I found years ago called the Six Stages of Queer Identity Development. And so we have them think about their experience as, you know, the, the hero or the queero in the outdoors, as well as in, you know, their own life. Um, and it kind of helps connect the skills that they use to move through a challenging experience, like being outside and dealing with all of those elements, to the challenging experiences that they have back home being a queer person.
0: Oh, I love how those lessons make them more comfortable in the outdoors and in themselves.
1: Yeah, I always tell the kids that I have higher expectations for them in, in those outdoor settings because I know that they have had to cultivate resilience in a way that many of their peers have not uh, because of their queer identity. And the same goes for any marginalized group of young folks. You know, you, when you have to experience oppression and when you're faced with that every single day, you do cultivate skills um, that maybe your more privileged peers do not. And that makes you more successful in tough experiences like dealing with the rain and the cold and bugs.
0: Yeah, and, and something that I've read several times in your work is that, you know, these kids have to cultivate those safe spaces for themselves. And so to be able to kind of translate that to nature, too, is is really special.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: How do you like respond when, if someone tells you that everyone is accepted in nature, like what, what kind of reaction do you get to a statement like that?
1: Well, I would say everyone is accepted by nature (laughs) as a thing that is, you know, different from ourselves. Um, So it's not the natural world that it needs to be made more inclusive. It is already inclusive. It's the people who need their attitudes to be changed you know it's the people element that is the most terrifying for me as a risk manager when i have a group of queer folks especially queer kids out in in the back country right i'm scared about what's going to happen or be set at the trailhead or at a campground i'm not scared about you know what's going to happen when we are actually out there on the trail and, and on our own you know just dealing with the natural world And we see that time and time again, you know, we see that every year when we have problems at trailheads or at campgrounds with homophobia and transphobia, you know, I I get that sentiment uh, from folks, but I I also then call into question how aware that person is of what is actually happening. And, And it implies that that person is coming from a pretty remarkable place of privilege to not understand that. That's a quaint idea, but that's just not our lived reality yet.
0: So in what ways do you foster a sense of inclusivity on the trips?
1: Oh, I mean, I think it is inherent just in in the fact that we are, you know, a group of, of queer folks. And we, we always try to toe that line between... Wanting the kids to have an experience in which they get to open up to each other um, and themselves and the instructors, Um, you know, but also wanting to be mindful of the narrative in the queer community um, that can be pretty negative, you know, pretty full of darkness, pretty ominous. I think that there, there is, I don't think, I know there is a lot of depression and anxiety and homelessness and substance abuse, and suicide attempts in the community. And so those can be the things that we focus on, uh, I think a little too much. So, you know, we try to honor those lived experiences of the young folks that come to our programs, uh, while also, you know, trying to remind them that they are immensely powerful and can, can achieve whatever it is that, that they want to and that they do have support systems We achieve that through your standard programming that you would find in in any outdoor education program that cultivates connectedness and communication and team building and all of that good stuff. But I I think a lot of that just comes organically from the young folks that we have and the instructors, because we're all brought there for a particular reason.
0: Is there something that you do hope, and I know you said earlier in the conversation that it was great to hear that one of the kids had a really positive experience with you as like a role model. Um, But is there anything that you hope that they take with them, you know, after either a day or a multi-day trip?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I, I hope that they want to continue to go outside. You know, I think that we, we are in a pretty terrifying time as it comes to um, environmental stewardship And I think that we need all hands on deck, you know, so I I think in order to be successful in making sure that our planet's natural resources are not completely depleted in the very near future, we need folks of all varieties to be engaged and have a stake in what goes on with our natural world. So I hope that they deepen their appreciation, you know, for the planet And then I I also hope that they can identify at least a few more folks that they have in their corner. And I think that we're pretty successful on both fronts. And then, you know, I obviously hope that they remember how to do a draw stroke or any of the technical (laughs) skills that we teach them so that they can continue to do those things, you know, beyond that experience. But my biggest objectives or hopes are that they grow their sense of community and their sense of place in that community and also deepen their love for the natural world.
0: Mm-hmm. Is it, is it hard at the end of, you know, if it's a week, is it hard to let them go?
1: Yes, absolutely. And I, as we get bigger and bigger, and I, I lose the ability to stay in touch with them, um, you know that's that's a, a bit saddening as well because I just am not quite sure, you know, what's going on with them. Um, like I used to to have a better finger on the pulse of when we were a little bit smaller, but you just have to you have to hope that they're doing all right. And, and, you know, the the great thing about this line of work is that years later, you know, I could get a random email from someone about some amazing thing that they've, that they're doing with their lives now. So I kind of, I kind of look forward to that potential
0: in the future. Oh, that's really lovely. You yeah, know, you talked about growing bigger and the way that out there is partnering with other nonprofits who are better able to to finance certain things or have the logistics to to do certain things. What are some of the hurdles for you for for growth for Out There?
1: Oh, I mean we remain in this kind of fascinating cycle of in order to be Interesting to funders of all varieties, whether that is foundations, different grants, uh, opportunities, or even private donors, we need to be putting up large participation numbers, right, and demonstrating that we are effectively engaging this community in this work. But in order to do that, I need that, you know, that support financially to be able to do the outreach and the marketing and to be able to run the programs that are, you know, not not cheap to run, so we're in a fascinating cycle. And when we've been in this place for a couple of years with with growth, uh, both in terms of our revenue and our participants served every year, I am historically not known for my patience, And so <laughs> I would love to see that growth on both those fronts expedited a little bit more. Um, you know, so part of it is just just continuing to, to plod along and, and, and hope that, um, that change will come. I, um, had a conversation with Shelma John a a few months ago about nonprofits and, you know, she's, cause she spent a long time of her career, a long portion of her career in nonprofits. Um, and she's like, yeah, it takes a nonprofit about 10 years to get its feet under it, you know, versus what they say for a for-profit business, which is like three to five years. Then I'm definitely feeling that reality because we are in technically year five, and um, we still have a long way to go to reach what I feel like would be good financial sustainability.
0: Is your vision for out there to be a more recognizable name nationwide?
1: Oh, I mean, that would be fantastic. I think the we're in an interesting place with with the organization um, in that we've been around for you know five years or so. And so we are we're looking ahead. Um, to the next three to five years through that sort of strategic plan lens. Um, And I think that there are so many possibilities for us. Um, And I I always joke that I'm going for global domination. So I would love to see OTA become as recognizable as Outdoor Afro or Latino Outdoors or some of these other folks that are doing amazing work in this space. Um, I also, the pessimist in me (laughs) uh, wonders what the longevity of that is. Um, and it's interesting to talk to different folks in this work and get reactions from people that are like, "Oh, no, you'll, you know, you'll definitely need to be around for the next twenty to twenty five years. The society's not changing that fast. But then I work with young folks and not not just queer young folks, but, um, anybody who is, you know, under the age of 20 right now and their whole world view is so different. Sure. Um, and I think that they are able to find their needs met in a number of, you know, mainstream organizations. And we're seeing mainstream programs um, sort of change the way they do business so that they can accommodate and and be truly welcoming of anybody that wants to participate in their programs Um, So I don't know, you know, I don't know if we will need to be around, but that, that would be the ideal, right? I think all social service nonprofits, which I sort of categorize us as are ultimately trying to work themselves out of a job. And when you achieve that, you have achieved your true mission, you know, and then it's time to move on and and find a new problem to tackle or or whatever uh, the case might be. So, you know, we'll see. I think it's a it's a big question mark that is partially dependent on the way that society continues to move forward or not.
0: And, and do you think that those kids that you mentioned, do you think that they're mirroring society or do you think that they're kind of carving out a space for themselves despite society?
1: Oh, well, I mean, I think that they're doing the classic thing that we all do when we're young. You know, every every generation is a reaction to the generation generation previously, you know, right ahead of it, or maybe a few generations ahead of it. And so I think that what we're seeing now is this generation Z, I think they're called is, is taking what the millennials have done, but taking it to a step further, you know, and, and trying to find their own identity in their own place in this like overall societal narrative. And so I, I think that it is both those things they are trying to carve out. A place for themselves and figure out who they are and that it is also a reaction to what might seem like too conservative of a viewpoint for millennials or gen xers and so they're like you know what we're gonna take this a step further we're gonna
0: send it socially <laughs> that's awesome um side note have you seen eighth grade no okay eighth grade is a movie about an awkward eighth grader And I hadn't watched it when I chatted with Elise, and I still haven't watched it. But it's on my list for this Friday night. I haven't either. I really want to see it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not me enough money to go back to like be a young person again
0: <laughs> yeah I know that I would just ball I'm just gonna ball when I watch it I cry anytime there's like a dance in a movie or like anything <laughs> I went to one dance when I was in sixth grade and no one asked me to dance and I didn't go back to another dance for until college <laughs> Like,
1: uh, yeah it's so Ugh. growing up is so so painful I was just thinking about that I think this morning on my run <laughs> and feeling like i'm not totally grown up yet and just like gosh i'm so different than when i was 23 and even being that young you couldn't you couldn't pay me to go do that again
0: <laughs> that's a good thing uh, <laughs> in certain ways you know like that you you're comfortable where you're at
1: that's true that's true
0: um so speaking of that like with all all that you do and you care for a lot of people what do you do to take care of yourself
1: yeah i um I'm still trying to figure that out. That's why I said earlier, I'm so thankful for my partner, Emily, um, because she's able to bring me back down to earth and, um, and support me, but also challenge me to take the time to meditate or do some things that, that I'm like, Oh, I don't, I don't need to do that. You know, I can keep working or if I send one more email, then I'll feel better. I didn't get to get outside this summer um, as much as I normally do, this this kayaking trip was actually the first time that I was on the water all summer, which hasn't happened, I think, ever in the history of my life. Oh. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, I need to to take a step back and kind of reprioritize some of those things in my life because I totally feel the the negative effects. when I when I don't spend enough time outside, I'm just not the person that I want to be. But I think it's a, it's a, a constant learning process. I think I've think i relied a little too much on my youthful exuberance and energy to kind of just power me through and I'm, I'm feeling the negative effects of that. You know, I'm getting a little bit more tired. So it's, it's a, a great time for me to probably put a little bit more emphasis on taking care of, of myself. Um, And thankfully, I have a a great support team and not only Emily, but family and other friends that I think see that and and are willing to help support me move through that. It'd be really awesome. I wouldn't have to be so stressed if we did get that million dollar grant or something. (laughs) So if someone could just win the lottery and, you know, write a check for us, that would be that would be excellent.
0: (laughs) You'd be high on my list if I if I won the lottery. (laughs) (laughs) In the meantime, the second annual LGBTQ Summit is just around the corner, happening this Friday at Nature Bridge near San Francisco.
1: Uh, So this year, we are looking to to sort of build upon that awesome momentum, and we are expanding it to three days. So we'll have uh, two and a half full days of programming. It's going to be at the Nature Bridge Golden Gate campus, um, which is down in the Marin headlands. It's a beautiful space. We're super excited to be there. They've been amazingly supportive. And we've got um, some of the same folks from last year are going to be participating and supporting. So we've got brand names like Patagonia, REI, Sue Reckner, the CEO of Merrill, is going to be speaking. Hip Camp's going to be there. Um, And then we have lots of folks from the conservation and outdoor education world. Um, The Wilderness Society is a huge sponsor of us again this year. My co-organizer, Hannah Melvin, um, is an employee with them. She's been doing great work over there. And we're stoked. I think it's going to be a fantastic event. Uh, It's open to queer folks and allies, um, which is sort of different than some other identity-specific events that happen in the industry. And we made that intentional choice because I think that the queer community and the narrative about queer equity in the industry is a little bit different than some other uh, marginalized communities. And so I think it's important for allies to be a part of that process. Um, There's also we're just also really underrepresented in positions of power, and so I would I would like to have the, you know, straight cisgendered white dude executive in in the conference and in the space and actually learning something that he can take back to make change, versus not having that person there at all. But we at the same time are going to be offering spaces for folks to come together around specific identities. So we'll be caucusing um, the majority of the day on Friday and I'll be running uh, workshops for those allies um, so that they can move through the rest of the experience um, with that allyship intentionality in mind so that they aren't doing um, any undue emotional labor on the queer participants that are there together, you know around community. So we're super excited. It should be a really fun event. And with that space at Nature Bridge, it opens up a ton of awesome programming, outdoor programming opportunities for us. So we're going to be doing some yoga and some trail runs and some other cool stuff um, in addition to the workshops and presentations. So everybody should come.
0: Keeping with the spirit of how we started this conversation, I want to share what happened at the end. Usually I ask the interviewee, in this case, Elise, if they thought I was going to ask them something over the course of the conversation that I didn't ask, usually something new comes up and I get insight into what the person was hoping for at least surprised me. Um, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you thought that I would ask you?
1: Um, gosh, I don't think so. I feel like we, you know, we covered the, the basics
0: yeah. Yeah, I know. I feel like I didn't ask enough about you, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, in truth, my work is me at this stage of the game, so there's not a whole lot of interesting stuff going on. <laughs> also, the fact that I'm getting married next year, that's fun and, and exciting, but that's sort of the only exciting thing I'm going on right
0: now. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. Are you going to go back to, to Madison for that? No,
1: we are getting married out on Orcas Island out uh, here in the San Juan's. But Emily is also from Wisconsin. We didn't meet until uh we were both out here living in Seattle, but it's uh it's just too humid back in Wisconsin in August. So, we're opting for the uh the nice Pacific Northwest cool summer day.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I'm imagining you guys both like paddling to <laughs> to the wedding, um, but I'm going to stop <laughs> with that visual. <laughs>
1: Yes. Oh, that would be awesome. Emily is actually a canoeist at heart and does not necessarily love the sea kayaking as much, but you know, I'm doing, doing my job, um, to try to bring her around. And the engagement story actually did involve sea kayaking in which I thought she was not going to survive, but we made it through. So.
0: Did you ask her after the, the perilous trip or in the middle of it?
1: Um After we paddled out to this little island called Doe Island, it's like maybe a fifteen minute paddle away from the the resort that we're um, gonna have the the ceremony at and it was a little windy, a little choppy, and the tidal currents do really funny things out there and I actually didn't even want to go paddling, but I had this whole plan of Doe Island that's an important place in our our history and and everything. And so we get out there and it was kind of a crappy day just in general. And she, we get out to the island and she's like, cool, so now what? Because there's nothing to do on this island. It's so small. So I just had to pretend to be really interested in tide pooling. And then, you know, there was this whole process with a love note under a rock and blah, blah, blah. So after that, mm-hmm. it made sense. And then she was more okay with the fact that I had drug her out onto the high seas.
0: Oh, it makes for a good story, too. Yeah,
1: she was a pill, man. (laughs) I was like, we just have to do this. Just get to the island.
0: (laughs) Big thank you for Elise for taking time out of her busy schedule to talk with me. You can learn more about Out There Adventures at outthereadventures.org and learn more about the LGBTQ Summit by going to the link in our show notes. Thank you to our sponsors, BetterHelp and Bombas. All discount codes and offer links are listed in our show notes and on the episode landing page via she-explorers.com. If you enjoy listening to She Explorers, be sure to follow along on our She Explorers Facebook group as well as our social channels instagram twitter facebook and we have a lot of great vlog content on she-explorers.com as well it's kind of like the podcast but in random form if you do enjoy listening and you could take a few minutes to review us on apple podcasts or wherever you listen that would be really appreciated it would also be really appreciated if you shared the show with a friend i know i'm always trying to recommend podcasts to people that i meet I guess I could do that right now. Um, the podcast I listen to a lot is Terrible Thanks for Asking. The host dives into like stuff that's really hard to talk about at times, but they do it in a lighthearted way. Um, and I feel like you get to understand the human condition just a little bit better by listening to the show. Music is by Lee Rosevere, Jason Shaw, and Josh Woodward. Music is also by Kay Orange. Until next week, Have fun out there.